1 Samuel chapter 3 is where we'll be reading tonight. The title of the sermon is God's Grace. We're going to talk about God's grace in Samuel's life, God's grace in the life of Israel, His people. I'd ask that you remain seated and hear God's holy inspired word, 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again, the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord. For your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, 
For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for your word. We know that all else will pass away, but your word stands forever. Soften our hearts, open our ears. We pray that you would help us to understand this text, that we'd be encouraged and you glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about God's grace tonight. God's grace in his word. God's grace in circumstances, in providence, if you will. And God's grace in his call. His word His circumstances or providence and his call. Verse 1 starts by saying that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision. It's interesting that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. They had the word of God, they had the law of Moses. Seems that very few people knew about it. It seems that very few people followed God's written, revealed word. But what Samuel is actually talking about is that there was no one declaring God's word in those days. We should remember that God did not have to reveal himself to man at all, ever. It was only by His grace, out of His grace, that He revealed Himself to us. He owes nothing to His creation. And He revealed Himself to us by His Word. Both by His written Word and His revealed Word, His Word of God, the Word of God, the revealed Word of God, but also by Christ, who is called the Word. The revealed will of God is special and precious. It's a wonder that we have Bibles in our hands. I think most Christians throughout the history of the church have not had their own scriptures. It's a precious thing. In the Word of God, we see the heart of God. What He desires to reveal to us is there. He shows us about Himself and He shows us what's required of us in this life. So it is a special gift. In the Old Testament, it was primarily given by prophets. The prophets would deliver God's word to God's people. The prophets were covenant enforcers, if you will. God made covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Moses. And the prophets were called to enforce the terms of the covenant, to call people back to himself so that the stipulations of the covenant of punishment would be avoided. They always called the people back to God to write worship. Now in the New Testament, we have the Word of God. We have the Scriptures. And no longer does God send prophets saying, Thus saith the Lord, and speaking the words of God. But God sends pastors to preach the Word of God. Both in our private study, we hear God speaking to our hearts through His Word, His written Word. As the Holy Spirit takes the written Word of God and He impresses it on your soul. So that you know it's right and you want to believe it. And you want to act on it. 
but more importantly, from the preaching and teaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit moves upon his people and he touches their souls. He changes them. He saves them. So why was God withholding his word in the time of Samuel? Why? Why was God not speaking? Why was he silent? To answer that question, I think you just need to read the book of Judges. Judges is a period of three or four hundred years before the time of Samuel. It even overlaps probably with Samuel a little bit. At least Eli. There was such depravity in the land of Israel that you can't imagine it. In Judges, the last few chapters, you see blatant idolatry. They're worshiping images. Isn't that what the golden calf was all about? Don't do that. The second commandment, don't do that. You worship God and God alone. Blatant idolatry. You see a genocide of a peaceful people outside of the land of Canaan, way up to the north. The tribe of Dan just went up there and wiped them out. God had not commanded them to do that. They killed everyone. You see the near genocide of the whole tribe of Benjamin, the people of God. They almost killed everyone in that tribe. You see homosexual perversion of an entire city trying to beat down the door to have sex with the men who are visiting that particular place. Sounds like Sodom, doesn't it? You see the gang rape of a poor girl to the point of death. And then her master cutting her into 12 pieces and distributing these pieces all over Israel. Can you imagine? You see the kidnapping of women as a legitimate way to get wives for the remaining people in Benjamin. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the last sentence of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They did not care about the Word of God. They were making it up. For themselves, there was little regard for Yahweh or his law. And in his righteous wrath, God allowed the people to continue in their sin, to wallow in their sin for a time. It was a time of great darkness. God stopped speaking, He was not speaking anymore. Great darkness descended upon the people of Israel until the time of Samuel. This is something similar to what happened in the 400 years before Jesus. There's no more prophet after Malachi until John the Baptist. God stopped speaking. Why? Because they were again a people that honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. But out of darkness, God brings light. He always does. He has a plan. If you remember during the Reformation, there was such a hunger for God's Word that it became the focus of worship. And rightly so. After centuries of Roman Catholic heresy and holding back the Word of God, it was only read in Latin. Nobody spoke Latin. No real preaching of the Word. No real church. No real administration of the sacraments. No singing praise to God, no hymns. There was no church for hundreds of years. Imagine how they must have felt 
generation after generation, wondering, wondering, is God real? They must have felt like the people of Israel in the time of Samuel. God had allowed darkness to descend upon his rebellious church. And the only people who knew the word of God were people who knew Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. How many is that? About like today. Nobody knows those languages, except nerds like me. And I don't know it that well. Imagine, though, 99% of the people had never heard the Word of God, never read the Word. God had stopped speaking. Darkness, indeed. And then an amazing display of power and grace. God used an inconsequential professor who actually began studying the Scriptures. He read Romans. He read it in the Greek. He understood God's Word. And God used that to penetrate His soul. And through Him, all of the Western world. God broke through the darkness with His Word. The result of that was the Reformation. And these Reformers, these folks of God who came out of the Roman Catholic tradition... They wanted God's Word. They wanted real church. They wanted to worship God. John Calvin was asked by the King of France why the Reformation was so important. You know what his answer was? So that we can worship properly. They started translating the Bible into common languages for people to read. Many of them at the cost of their own lives. They began studying the Scriptures in their homes with their families to see what the Bible taught. Pastors actually began studying God's Word. And they tried to figure out what does the Bible say about church? What should church look like? What should worship be like? And what they found in Scripture is that it's all centered on the Word of God. Praying God's Word. Singing His Word. Seeing His Word in the sacraments. Teaching the Word of God. And of course, preaching God's Word as the centerpiece of the worship service. Listen to the city ordinance of Geneva in 1541. So this is a city that is reformed. This is a city where John Calvin was pastoring. And the Reformation is very young, 20 years or so. This is the city ordinance of Geneva. Each Sunday, there is to be a sermon at St. Pierre and St. Gervais at the break of day. And at the usual hour, 9 a.m., at midday, there is to be catechism, that is the instruction of little children in all three churches. At 3 o'clock, the second sermon. Besides, on working days, there will be a sermon at St. Pierre three times a week, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. These people who had been deprived of the Word of God, they wanted God's Word. They relished God's Word. They devoured God's Word. The Word of God, by the Spirit of God, brought people out of darkness and into light. They had a newfound love and appreciation for the Word. They knew it was all that they needed for life. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, their Bible 
became life. The application for us, of course, is easy. Cherish your word, the scriptures. We don't worship scriptures. We worship God. But the scriptures reflect God. His purpose for us. They describe Himself to us. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's foundational for life. Everything else in life will pass away. Everything else will fail you. The Word of God is something you can rely on. You can bank your life on this book. Because God spoke it. The Word of God shows us Jesus. That's the most important part. We see Jesus. Place yourself under regular preaching and teaching. Submit yourself to God's Word. Devour the Word on your own every day. Listen to it. I know you all have the Bible app on your phones. Listen to it. Listen to it all day. Thank God for it. You also see the reverence for God's Word in the Westminster Assembly some hundred years after the Reformation really was started, or more. We must attend unto the Word of God with diligence and preparation and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. So when you read in 1 Samuel 3 that the Word of God was rare, There should be great heartache for the people at that time. Count yourselves blessed that the Word of God in your day is not rare. You could leave this church and go to any number of churches within 10 minutes of here probably and hear the Word of God. But the people of Israel were not forgotten. God raised up a prophet to proclaim His Word at the right time. God still raises up men to proclaim His Word. You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for pastors all over this land that they would be bold and courageous, that they would preach and teach the Word of God, the Gospel of God, with the power of God and the love of God. It's like when you go to the gym. If you are paying a trainer... And you go to the gym and the trainer that you're paying a lot of money to, he just says, well, just go sit on that treadmill and walk two miles an hour and watch TV for 30 minutes. I'll come check on your work. What are you paying for exactly? Is that really what you're paying for? For someone to tell you just to watch TV? You were going to do that anyway. Now, when you go to the gym and you're paying a trainer, you want this guy to work you. You want him to work you hard. You want to be exhausted when you leave. We need pastors all over this land who are not afraid of the people they preach to, including me. They need to fear God more than man. So we see God's grace. God's grace in His Word. But secondly, we see God's grace in circumstances. What do I mean by that? We're talking of God's providence. God ordering all things by His holy wisdom. He's ordering all things for His glory. 
all his creatures and all their actions. Samuel, we see, hears the call of God, which is a gift of God. But how did he get to that point where he's sleeping in the temple or the tabernacle? How did he get there? What's that all about? There are a lot of things that God had ordered beforehand to put Samuel in that place. There are a lot of things that have happened in your lives to get you to this moment. Alive, breathing, and able to understand the gospel, able to understand God's word. But look at Samuel's life. First of all, he had a faithful father. Remember, his father would come every year to Shiloh at the times of the feast. His father is shown in contrast to Eli, isn't he? Eli was a a man who was unable to restrain his sons. And we have the father of Samuel who is actually influencing his son to godliness, right? Samuel's father was faithful to worship. He was diligent to train his son. He had obviously raised an obedient son, a submissive son. Look at how many times Samuel seems to go back to Eli. And he seems, if you can read between the lines, he seems not to mind. He's not angry. He doesn't seem angry. In fact, it seems like Eli's the one who's a little frustrated. You can imagine your kid's waking you up all night. Go back to bed. Go back to bed. Get in bed. There's nothing there. You'll be all right. Samuel's father was faithful. But we see also Samuel's mother. His mother was a woman of prayer. And even if she didn't pray all the time, when she had a need, she knew where to go. She knew what to do. She prayed to God. And God heard this woman's prayer and answered her prayer and gave her a son. She trusted God. And then she was faithful to keep her promises. Remember, she said, if you give me a son, I'm going to dedicate him to your service. She did it. She kept her vow to God. Even though it was difficult, she did it. What a mother. Finally, we see Samuel's birth. He was born at just the right time. Not too early, not too late, just right. And really, we all have been born at just the right time. You were born exactly when God wanted you to be born. You've been born exactly now for a reason. In this time in history, Samuel was born to fulfill a specific part of history. Like Esther, he was born for a specific time to live in such a time as this, as have you, for God's own purposes. Fourthly, I want you to also see that Samuel was born in a time of great darkness and that darkness had overwhelmed Israel. The word was silent. The unfaithfulness of the sons of Eli was well known. The worship of God had withered up and Eli was unwilling to restrain them. But he was willing to take on Samuel. Eli didn't have to do that, but he took Samuel on as his ward, if you will, to train in the priesthood. I also think it's interesting that Samuel is sleeping in the tabernacle. He's not with Eli outside the tabernacle. Who sleeps in the tabernacle? Birds, we're told in the Psalms, they're blessed to be able to be in the temple of God. We're told that 
in the later books of the Old Testament that some of the Gentiles were sleeping in the outer courts of the temple and they were discarded. They were sent away by Nehemiah, I believe. No one sleeps in the temple, but there's Samuel sleeping in the tabernacle. God had ordered all of these things. It was all of grace. None of it was by chance. And each one of you have been given a mission in life as well. Nothing is by chance. You were born when you were born, where you were born, for the purpose of God. What is your primary purpose in life? I know somebody knows it. Glorify God. Enjoy Him forever, right? It's on your bulletin every week. We glorify God and we enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. But individually, we all have a specific mission as well. We all have a calling. You've been put in the body of Christ for a reason. Like Samuel. You might not be a prophet. We don't have prophets anymore. But you've been called to serve the body of Christ. You've been called to shine the light of Jesus to a dark and dying world. You have a purpose. specific mission and it has very little to do with your happiness or your health or your wealth much more to do with God's glory in the ordinary ways you live the Christian life in the study of his word the diligent and daily prayer fellowship with believers service to the body of Christ the simple regular daily work of God the Christ-centered life is powerful. And maybe He will raise you up for some great purpose in the sight of men. But if you're like most of us, you just need to be diligent and serve God where He's placed you. And the people that your life intersects with, may they know that they have been in the presence of someone who loves God. So be diligent and strong and courageous and don't be discouraged. When you look at your life, you're right where you should be. Thirdly, we see God's grace, not just in his providence, but thirdly, in his call. God's call to Samuel. In Romans 8, we read that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Why? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is showing us a smaller version of what is called the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, how God saves a soul. It starts with God's foreknowledge. He knows everything about everybody before He created any of us. He knows you. And He predestined you to be saved. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of any good work, any good thought, any good intention. Because you have none apart from Christ. He knew you. He knew you personally. He created you. And He predestined to save you. 
And those whom he predestined, and this happened before the creation of the earth, those whom he predestined, those he called. Samuel is hearing the call of God, not just the audible voice of God. He's being called out of darkness into light, like you have been. And those whom he called, he justified. He went from death to life. He went from guilty to innocent because of the blood and the work of Christ. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, will be glorified as well. Either when we die or when Christ returns. So what was this call to Samuel? Well, like I indicated, I believe he's saying when he says that Samuel did not yet know God, that he was not yet God's child. He was not yet saved. He was not yet one of God's children. Which is interesting. Consider Samuel's maybe 15, 18, 20. We don't know how old he is. Maybe even a little younger. But he had been in the temple for many years. He had been around the tabernacle for a long time. How long had he been there? Years and years. How many times had he been around the people of God, giving sacrifice to God? How many times had he heard the the Shema Yisrael, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which Jews still recite. How many times had he heard that? How many times had he lit the lampstands in the Lord's tabernacle or placed the showbread in the tabernacle? Or seen the sacrifices of God people. Or heard the worship of God. And yet, he did not know God. It's a work of God. If you're going to know God, you're spiritually dead before he wakes you and makes you new. Before you can even hear the call, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Samuel did not know God yet. He had been around the church and all the functioning of the church. He'd seen maybe some of the sweetness, even among Eli and his sons, some of the sweetness of the worship of God. He did not yet know God. How many people have sat in this house or in other churches around the country for years, have experienced the wonder of fellowship, heard gospel preaching for years and years and years, thousands of sermons, and yet still have not known God? There are some. I promise you that. And to know God is the word, the same word in Hebrew that indicates a marriage relationship. When you know your wife, you're married to her. It's an intimate relationship. It's close. To know God was to be saved. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. But that all changed when God called him. Let's look at the call quickly in conclusion. First note, the patience of God. He was very, very patient with Samuel. He wasn't frustrated. He continued to patiently call him. Four times. The first three times, Samuel went to Eli. The fourth time, he actually listens to his Savior. God was very patient. He's patient with all those whom he will call. With an effectual call, he's patient. You talk to people sometimes. I remember a friend of mine. He told me that all through his life, he was not serving God. But now that God had saved him, he can see, looking back, that his life was like a bowling alley. 
with the bumpers up. I know some of you still bowl like that. With the bumpers up. And he was the ball, and the ball was banging back and forth as it went down the aisle, and finally it struck the pens. God was always with me, always keeping me on that road, even though I did not know Him. And looking back, I can see that in God's providence. God is patient with His people. He also persevered. That's the second thing you see in this call. He persevered. God persevered. You remember Jesus describing the lost sheep. 99 are here, but one's away. And what happened? The guy goes out and he looks for this sheep until he finds it. If God has called you to Himself, He will get you. He will persevere and you will answer. It's an effective call. Thirdly, we see God's condescension. John Calvin describes this part of God's call as like an elementary school teacher, a kindergarten teacher who's got all these little kids running around. If you've ever been in this situation, you know what it's like. It's a little bit chaotic. There's three or four-year-olds running all over the place. You're trying to teach them something, but they can't understand big words. You have to use little words to speak to these little children. If you've taught that age in Sunday school, you know how difficult that is. You have to get down on their level. You have to speak to them in words they can understand. In the same way, God condescends to us. He's infinite. He's holy. He's unfathomable. Yet He reveals Himself to us using words we can understand. And God condescended to speak to Samuel. We also see the wisdom and the righteousness of God in this call. He's wise. He's righteous. Why didn't He choose him? Um, Hophni or Phineas, why? It's none of our business, really. Read Romans 9. He's the potter. We're the clay. For some reason, he chose Samuel in his wisdom. When we begin to think of the call of God, the effectual call, the call that must be heard, we must remember that it implies election, it implies predestination, it implies the high and holy things of our salvation that we can only know very little about except that God is good and righteous and just in all His ways. Finally, we see the timing of God at just the right time. Paul said in Romans 5, when we were still powerless, God sent His Son. At just the right time, God sent Samuel. Praise God. Praise God for His timing. It's not always our timing. Actually, rarely is it ever our timing. But His timing is perfect. And what's the result? The result was that Samuel was a blessing to everyone. In verse 19 it says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. He let none of his words fall to the ground. If you don't know Christ, we pray that this word would not fall to the ground. It would penetrate your soul tonight. And if you are in Christ, if you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, May you become like Samuel. May none of your words fall to the ground. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for raising up Samuel. And we thank you for raising up Samuels all throughout the history of your church to do your will. We pray that you would help each one of us. We may not be called to be a prophet. We may not be called to do anything that the world would say is great. But in your economy, living the Christian life, 
doing daily Christian things, loving you with our hearts, striving in prayer, communing with you in your word, shining your light to this world. These things are important. These things are eternal. We thank you that you've raised us up for such a time as this, for your glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.